Yes. The guest room has had a hole in the carpet, and we didn't know about it when we went to buy it. And even during the inspection, what they had done is they would actually put a rug over the hole. And so when the previous owners left, they took the rug with them, and lo and behold, we now have a hole to deal with. And uh, so I said, okay, let's do this. Let's laminate it. Take the, rip out the carpet, put out the laminate. And I've never done this before. Uh, so I asked questions of people who've done that. I went to uh, uh, Rona and to Home Depot, and I thought I was, you know, I was all set, got the laminate, I laid it all out. Uh, but every once in a while as I go back to the guest room, I think, oh, Lord, what did I do? You see, it's quite distinct from the rest of the rooms, uh, the first one that I did, but hopefully the next ones were okay. But we were talking about distinctions. Distinctives, distinctives. What makes us unique? And the reason why we're doing this series is because we, we, we want to know why do we practice what, what we practice? What's the biblical, biblical mandate? Uh, so this would be the last of the first block. We said we would do that in blocks, so this would be the last of the first block. We start a new series called The Seven Lessons from the Seven Churches in Revelation. Uh, but for today, what we want to do is to look at the autonomy of the local church. Uh, we, we, let's do a little review. And we said distinctive. Distinctive, we said, is the DNA, what makes us unique, what makes us different, and yet part of the visible, part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the visible part of the body of Lord Jesus Christ. And we said, you know, it's like the Atlantic Sea. When I look at the Atlantic Sea, I was told, I haven't been to, uh, to the British shores, but I was told that if you see the Atlantic Sea from, from that side, it looks very different from how it is when we see it from the Canadian side. And yet, it's the Atlantic. So sometimes these, the, the, the visual that we get helps us understand. So these churches may look different, and yet how does it form part of the the body of Christ. The word is this autonomy. And the, the words that I want you to turn to is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read to you verse 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are <coughs> one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink into one body, one spirit. All right? And so uh, the autonomy of the local church. And the way it is on the website, on our website, if you go up, I'm going to just read that to you so uh, you know what it is. The New, New Life Bible Chapel is autonomous and independent with no centralized leadership or hierarchical system and is under the control of the head of the church, our Lord Jesus Christ. So to say that we are autonomous and independent, there's no centralized leadership because Christ himself is the head of the church. And then it goes on to explain that we fellowship and partner and cooperate with the local churches towards the common goal of uh, evangelism and mission. And we do this through the through the resources that we raise within, um, within uh, NLBC. So, 
So I think the question we want to ask is, why do we practice uh, this autonomy? Why, why is this, why do we do autonomy? Now, the word autonomy doesn't appear in the Bible. You know, if you do a search, you won't come across the word autonomy. But yet, you will see the principles being practiced. Uh, so what we want to do today is to go through this references and, and then see how is it how was it that church in the Bible times practiced their administration? Is that something that we can match up with? All right. So what we'll do is we will see what is done in the book of Acts and what is taught in the epistles. And that'll become uh, for us, uh, uh, you know, a picture as to what we're doing. All right. So what we want to do is we want to compare. We'll compare the practices in uh, Acts and the teachings in epistles. Uh, we want to understand what the word autonomy means. You know, does that mean that we would be independent or does that mean that we'd be isolated? What does that word mean, in, uh, autonomy? All right. And what are the implications? That's the most important question. So if, if that's the case, what does that mean to us? Why are we so uh, hung up about it? Okay. But before we answer that question, it might be good for us to remind ourselves the purpose of a local church. Like, why do we do local church? the way we do it. Why do we do it? So I want you to imagine with me this imagery that the local church is the visible representation of the coming kingdom. All right, so what, what, what's the imagery? What's, what am I saying the local church is? It's the visible representation of the coming kingdom. All right, so five things that come as a result of that. First one is the local church is where the king is extolled or he's praised. And we call it the corporate worship. We come, we bring our praises with us because he's made us true worshipers. We come and together we worship the Lord Jesus Christ because he is our king. And the second thing that we do together as we come as a local church is that this is where he enacts his rule, or he, through the preaching of God's word, the law is established in our hearts. We actually practice. We know what his word is saying through the preaching and through the discipline of God's word, and through, the, uh, through uh, discipline, we actually practice uh, accountability. Right? The local church is also a place where the good news of the coming kingdom is explained. So the king is coming. There's good news that we can be part of this kingdom. There's good news that this king is who died and gave his life for us so that he could be, we could be his subjects. We could be as part of his kingdom. And that's the gospel. And we see that uh, uh, being declared. The, de the declaration of the king uh, happens here. The, the other thing that happens is it helps us identify who we are, this, the separation from the world. And we do it through the two ordinances that God's word has given us, the two things. What are, they, what are the two ordinances that we have? One is, one is the two ordinances. One is baptism, and the second one is communion or the Lord's Supper. Baptism is where we are saying, listen, I want to be identified with Jesus Christ in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. He is my king. And we do it how many times? 
once. We do that once. We do that publicly. We let the world know that, hey, I'm part of this king. I'm part of this kingdom. But then the second one, which is communion, shows whose death? The death of our Lord Jesus Christ. The baptism shows my death, my death to the world, that I'm part of the king, and the communion tells me that my king died for me, I remember. So the two ordinances, and this is open only to those who are in the kingdom. And it's in the local church that we practice these two ordinances. And then we have also, I want you to notice, I want you also to think of this local church as the embassy of the future nation. As a, as a outpost, as it were, in this dark world, as a light in the world, as to say that there is this coming kingdom, the embassy. This is where the ambassadors of Christ, you and I who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we come and, and, and from here the gospel is uh, sent out to the rest of the world. And so if these are all the responsibilities, uh, these are all the privileges of our local church, then it's a high stewardship of a local church um, has because then its conduct, its character is very important to, uh, to the authenticity, to, the, to, the, uh, uh, to, the, to building up of the trust and for, for this coming of this new kingdom. All right? So there's grave, grave responsibility. We as, as a local church, therefore, are given big responsibility. So, so if that were the case, then we want to ask this question, what does autonomy mean? Okay, what is autonomy? Now, when you say autonomy, uh, what comes to you? What, what, do you, what is autonomy? What, what's the understanding? Independence? Okay, all right. If you look at the dictionary, it says that autonomy is the right of self-government. The right of self-government. All right, so that's what it is. Let me read to you a, a quote from a book called Gospel Truths. We conclude then, the New Testament teaches that each local church does its own work under the oversight of the elders, outside the interference or control, and that every area of the local congregation's work uh, is where the principle applies, and that we have to respect this principle because God himself mandated it. What it's saying is, hey, autonomy is this, saying that the local church, the local assembly, the local, local congregation have the right for self-governance in, a, in line with what Bible is teaching, and that this is important because the Lord uh, mandates it. Okay? And, and, and so this autonomy, when you say autonomy, I want you to realize that it's based on two foundational truths. Two foundational truths. One is that the head of the church is who? The Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is to whom this church is uh, the body of or connected to. He is the king. So he alone is the authority. And the basis of knowing that is the word of God. That's the second one. And we look at God's word to say what God's word is telling so that we can practice this in our life. So those two are the foundational things. And so having said that, we want to start looking at uh, where we find this in the Bible. Um, 
we're saying that we, we, we define this autonomy as no outside interference. And I really, I think I should take time to just describe what could uh, some of the outside interference be. The first one I want to say is the political. The political interference. What that means is that the loyalty of the subjects of this king will always be first, the priority of it will always be to God himself. When there's an opposition, when there's a contradiction between the law of God and the law of the country, our priority is to God. And that's why it's Caesar's time, when Caesar would uh, throw the Christians to the lions, they did that not because, we looked at that, not because they worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ, but they did not worship the Lord Jesus Christ and Caesar. Caesar also wanted worship, and they refused to do that. But this is important for us to remember that in this, when you talk about this political system, that it's not just the priority, but there's also a respect God's word says that the civil governments are all lay, are, are, are laid by God himself. Let me give you two uh, verses from the Bible, because this is important for us to know, that just because our loyalty is to God, that does not take away our responsibility to this world and how we respond. Respect is important. So let me read to you what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. And then verse 17 says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. Like, I, I want you to understand this. Now, at that time, I don't know who the uh, Caesar was at that time, but there was a time when Nero, as an example, was the emperor. And, and Peter is saying you need to honor Nero. Nero is the guy who would take Christians uh, because they wouldn't, re- they wouldn't worship him. He would tie, in some cases, uh, pizza, uh, pieces of flesh around these uh, around uh, around the Christians and feed them to to the hungry lions. There was time when there would be tar poured on these uh, Christians and they would be set on fire and there'll be torches in his orgy parties. And therefore, Peter, when he says, "Don't be upset when you think you're coming across fiery trials," and one of those is that you see, so. Such was Nero, and Peter is not saying, hey, listen, he's the, he's the bad guy. Don't listen to him. He doesn't say that. He says, honor the emperor. The charge of our king is radical, to say the very least, so that we, we're, not, we're not ones who disrespect or stand in opposition, but when the law or when the command or the need opposes that of what God has told us, then we choose to, um, to honor God. The second is a hierarchical. Uh, sometimes churches are established at a district level or a national level and a global level. You see, what happens is the, the, the practice where the local church is controlled by outside interferences, you will see, is not a practice in uh, in the Bible, and we look at that, all right? So that's what we want to see. What is the basis, the biblical basis for autonomy in, uh, from the Bible? And I want to give you two. One is theological support. 
and I want to give you a historical support. The theological support, I'll, I'll draw it from the epistles, and the historical support, I'll draw it from the book of Acts. All right, so let's get into the theological support, the theological support. So if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, what's interesting there is Paul writes to the Corinthian church, it's the local church, and he says, to the church of God in Corinth. The, the local church is referenced to as the, uh, as the church of God, not a slice of church. He, he didn't write to the Corinthian church and say, hey, you're the slice of the, of the church of God, universal, but you are the church of God. A church of God. I, uh, I was trying to create like what example I might have here and I was thinking of Prarth and with all our jigsaw puzzle of 500 piece and 1000 piece and all of that right so if you take a jigsaw puzzle uh, just the piece is that complete in itself it's not unless you put it all together so you have the big picture right so the local church is not like a jigsaw puzzle where it's incomplete in itself and has to be added on with the rest. But what it is, if you can really think about it, is it's a replica, a model which is complete in itself and yet forms to form the bigger part. Okay, we'll come back and give you other illustrations and imageries for you to remember. But I want you to realize that it's called the Church of God, complete in itself. The second thing, each local body is referred to as a body. A body. That means complete, not a body part. New Life Bible Chapel is not just the arm of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the body, it's the full body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have references in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we looked at the verse in 1 Corinthians 12 and 12. We, we said that just as the body is one and has many members... Right? Many members, each of us, but the body is one. So I want you to realize that the local church is also called uh, the body. It's first, it's called the what? It's called the church of God. The second, it's called now the body. All right? The third thing is that the local church is given the necessary package of gifts. All the gifts that are necessary. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, there are these five offices that are mentioned. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And uh, it says there so that, the, so that they would equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So within the church, there's gifts so that the saints are equipped within the local church that they can, they can work. And then the fourth example that we have is that each of these uh, local churches, when the epistles are addressed to them, they're addressed at the local level. So the Corinthian church, when the letter was written to the Corinthian church, it was addressed to them. In, in Philippians, I'll give you an example in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, listen to this, with the overseers and deacons. With the overseers and deacons of the church in Philippi. Not to a hierarchy or like a regional office or whatever it is, but addressed to the local church directly. I'll give you two more examples so it helps us cement how God himself addresses the local church and holds the local church responsible. When, in First Peter chapter 5, when 
uh, Peter is writing, if you can turn to First Peter ch- uh, chapter 5, verse 1, and see what it says there. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1, we see Peter. Now, Peter is the one who was the inner circle of the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one of whom, uh, when, when uh, the Lord Jesus Christ asked, who do you say I am? And he said, you are Christ, the Son of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, upon that confession, I will build a church. Right? And this Peter, when he writes, he says, I exhort the elders among you, exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. I just love that. Peter is saying, hey, I'm, I'm just a fellow elder. I'm not like someone else somewhere different, but I'm a fellow elder with you. Exhort fellow elders. Now, the letters to the book of Revelation, when it is addressed, is it addressed to a to a group of churches, or is addressed to these individual churches, uh, we see then, again, it's addressed to these seven churches. All right, so the address as it's made, and uh, the gifts that is given, uh, the, it's called the body, and it's called a church. In each of these, we see the, the fact that um, it's the local church which is held responsible. Listen to this in the book of Revelation. Very interesting. The book of Revelation, the local churches, they're the ones who, uh, who are commended. They're the ones who are condemned. They're the ones who are held responsible. Not, uh, you know, office or whatever, a district office or a national office. It's each local church. And so the, I, we go back to what we said initially about, about the fact that there is this grave responsibility as a local church. There's great stewardship. All right? So that was the theological support that we have. What about the uh, historical support? What, what do we see in the book of Acts? What do we see in the book of Acts? All right? So uh, starting from we're at chapter 8, it's interesting. From chapter 8, as we start to see, we see that new churches were established. First in chapter 8, it starts, uh, the new churches were established in Judea and Samaria. So there was this church in Jerusalem, and when there was a persecution that started in Jerusalem, and all the Christians had to spread out, they went to Judea and Samaria, and they established churches there. We don't read the Jerusalem church having control and said, all right, I'm, I'm, you're my satellites or control over these uh, churches that came up in Judea and Samaria. All right, so that's one. The second, when by the time you get to chapter 13, so you see these churches are established, and you get to chapter 13, that's where the missionaries are sent, the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. What's, what's happening there? The, the church in Antioch is praying, and as they are praying, the Holy Spirit prompts them that you need to now send the missionaries out. And so it's the local church in Antioch that sends missionaries. And then as you go continually, you get to chapter 13, chapter 14, as the missionary journey progresses, Paul and Barnabas in the first journey, they're establishing churches, and as they establish the church, they identify or they appoint oversight. In Acts 14.23, we see that in each of these churches, they've appointed elders. So the elders are not uh, like a head council, but there is an elder. There's a leadership identified 
in each of these uh, uh, each of these local churches. And then, as you continue through the Book of Acts, when these local churches are functioning, you will see that they are functioning independently. They are functioning autonomously. They are, they are doing what it takes for them, what is expected of them in many things. One is they supported the preaching of the gospel, right? So uh, uh, in Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, they, they, uh, they see that uh, the local church is supporting the preaching in Philippi. And then in Corinth, in Jerusalem, so when preaching of the gospel had to be, had to be uh, taken care of, this local church would send help to, to Paul in this case. The second is when benevolence was necessary. There was, there was let's say, uh, you know, even in our times, if there's something happening in different countries, there was a flood or whatever, as all the churches would send help. We read in the book of Acts in chapter 2 and then later chapter 4 that help was sent to the Jerusalem church because there was a drought there. They were, they were in need. And, and, and so it was each of these individual churches not contributing a percentage, as it were, because they reported in, but on their own they would send it. And uh, they also disciplined their own members. The letter that was written to Corinthians, when there was a problem in the church, it was the local church that had to take care of the sin in that church. So what do, we, what, what do we look at? I mean, I think it's important for us to know this autonomy uh, means that there is responsibility. It means that, yes, as we function, there is, there, 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 within, within the local church, the leadership is identified, and, and there are functions, there are gifts that are given out, there are responsibilities of reaching out to the preaching, but all of that is happening within the local church. So if the picture is clear, you would see what autonomy is. They're, they're not dictated by terms from outside, but it's a decision arrived at within the local church. Okay, so that's autonomy. But then the question we ask is, um, you know, does autonomy mean isolation? Does it mean independence? Does it mean that we have nothing to do with anybody else? Are we just independent and isolated. Now I want to submit to you, biblically, it is that a church can remain autonomous, but yet in close fellowship and partnership with other autonomous churches. So we want to see this, right? So we are autonomous, and yet we are, what the term would be, that we are interdependent. Interdependent. So, if I'm going to be working, if I'm going to be having a fellowship with another autonomous church, there are three questions I need to ask for myself. What is the basis in which I can have this fellowship? What is the basis that I can have this interaction or this partnership, right? And I want to submit to you there are three at least. The first one is do we share the same Christ, do we share the same Christ? You see, it's important because uh, it could be a different church with different practice, but do they serve the same Christ? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, this is what it says. To the church of God in Corinth, we looked at that, and we said, call to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And what that means is, 
hey, this Lord Jesus Christ, this historical biblical Lord Jesus Christ is the one we are worshiping. And I want to tell you that this is important for us to know because not everybody, the Jesus that is discussed in the marketplace is not the Jesus that is mentioned necessarily in the Bible, and it's not the historical Jesus. I'm not sure if you... Uh, remember this last year, I think it was uh, the uh, Wheaton College, the professor of the Wheaton College was uh, laid out, uh, was, give, was put out on administrative leave because she was wearing the hijab. And they made it very clear and they said, no, it's not because she wore the hijab that she's been put on administrative leave, but because of our theological understanding that it's the same God. That all religions eventually worship the same God. And I think that becomes for us is a very anti-cultural to say, no, Jesus Christ is unique. He cannot be mixed with or he cannot be compromised uh, by something else. This Christ is unique. He who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's a hard sell, but that's the truth. Is that the Christ who they're talking about. And that's the first question we need to ask. Is it the same Christ? The second is that we share, do we share the same scripture? Do we share, the first one is, do we share the same Christ? Second, do we share the same scripture? You see, uh, Colossians 4.16, if somebody can read that, that'll be great. Colossians 4.16. Let me read that to you. For when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. That is, the, the letters that were written were circulated. And it says that what letter was given to Laodiceans would also be read in the Colossian scripture. So the scripture that was written for one church was applicable to the uh, other church. And it's applicable to us. It's the same scripture. It is God-breathed. I want you to know this is God-breathed. We have no uh, additions, no deletions. So if, if a church says we, we believe in the verbal, plenary, and inerrant uh, inspiration of God's word that nothing would be added because it's insufficient or nothing will be taken away because it's irrelevant. That's important. So we worship the same, we share and worship the same Lord Jesus Christ and that we share the same scripture with no addition and with no deletion and that the Bible is read and understood the way it is to be. And the third one is do we share the same confession? So the first one is same, Christ. Second is same, Scripture. The third is same, confession. And these are the core essentials. You see, sometimes what happens is we can take the Bible and, and uh, we say, yeah, I understand the word, but uh, you've not formulated the confession. You don't know necessarily what you believe, and it's important, therefore, in the preaching that we understand this. So do you believe in the absolute, do they believe in the absolute deity and the sinless life of our Lord Jesus Christ when he lived on this earth? Do we believe in the verbal, plenary, inerrant, Uh, inspiration of God's word? Do we believe in the nature and the fall of man and how how is absolute inability 
to help himself? Do we believe in the substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that is complete? Do, we, do they believe in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to convict hearts? Do they believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ because of whom we have this joy of, of knowing that he's going to come back? It's the same confession. So, even though we are autonomous, we are saying, hey, we can partner, but we look for these three conditions. One is, do we believe in the same Christ? Second, do we believe in the same scripture? Third, do we have the same confession? Three essentials, all right? So, having done that, let's move on to see from the Bible from both the Acts and the Epistles, how these autonomous churches worked interdependently. How do they work in partnership? How do they fellowship with other local churches? All right, so, so let's uh, go back to the book of Acts in chapter 15, if you will turn to Acts chapter 15. What happens there is this is the first time a local church is being confronted with this issue. There are people who are coming and saying, hey, salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ is not sufficient. You need to be circumcised because Moses had given this as a covenant. So you have to be circumcised to be saved. That's a new uh, situation which the local church did not, in, in Antioch, did not, uh, um, you know, did not experience. So what they did is they sent people to, uh, to the church in Jerusalem. They sought counsel. They, they wanted to know how do we deal with this. Instead of coming up with their own systems and understanding, they, they sought counsel. The second way they, they worked interdependently is it's interesting how when Paul writes his episodes in in quite a few times and I, let me give you two he says all these churches they come together and they're sharing of the love and of their greeting Romans 16 16 says all the churches greet you First uh, Corinthians 16, 9 says, the churches of Asia send you greetings. You see, the churches were, 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 were all there in Asia. They're not saying, listen, I'm not going to talk with them. But no, when they send their greetings, there is this unity and this unanimity in their greetings as they greet this local church in Corinth, Corinth which is uh, far out. All right. They shared the preachers and missionaries. In 2 Corinthians 8, 18, we read with him, that is Titus, we are sending the brother who's unnamed, who's famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. So they, when they needed counsel, they sought counsel. When they had to send a greeting, they were willing to send as a group. There was, you know, collective greeting. And then uh, there was a sharing of the preachers. You know, they would go and, and uh, send uh, so that preachers could be, um, could be, you know, could preach at this place where it was necessary. But fourthly, they also supported financially. We looked at that briefly, but in Acts 15 and 2 Corinthians 9, we see how when there was a need, they, they had this collection that was raised, and then they sent this money to another church. All right, so they were doing it uh, as a group. What is happening is this essence of autonomy and yet the interdependence. Autonomy does not mean independence. It, me it means interdependence. 
that you can work together, and in working together that, uh, that Christ would be glorified. And the fifth one is another that they were testimonies to those in Christ. that were examples. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and 7 says, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. You see, these examples that they were, not just within, but to all the other churches too. That's a great format, if you would, for us even to follow. And I want to give you two examples. One, um, I, was, uh, I was reading through the Chicago Statement of uh, Inerrancy of the Scriptures. In 1978, uh, there were 268 participants from various seminaries and colleges and churches and denominations. They all came together. They studied and prayed and came up with a statement as to why they believe that the Scripture is iner- inerrant. There's no error in the scriptures as God has given it. If there is a God and God is communicating, we must therefore believe that he can communicate without error. That's the essence of that. But why the statement was necessary was because again and again, Bible was being uh, ridiculed as being legendary, as if the stories were just uh, a myth, not true. But we believe it to be true. Because it's God's word. It's God-breathed. And so the churches came together and made that statement. That's a great thing. But also think about it, that as this local church, and I'm not sure how many of you know that, but we helped uh, build a church building in Philippines. We helped in India the education of uh, those who could not afford it. And in in Africa, we helped with missionaries. We we work globally. We also work locally. We work with other churches so that we can do seminars together or conferences together. The Easter conference that is coming up, as an example, would be one of that. But the idea is we recognize that we are autonomous, but we are not isolated. Why is it important? Why, why, why am I going through this? I mean, I, 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 want, I wanted to take you through this to say why. Why is this important? What does that mean for us? What's the, what's the responsibility as a local church? So I want to review this really quick and so as I bring it to close. Let me read through some of the examples in the Bible that provides as a continuing example. One is uh, it helped reach a different people group with the gospel. We saw that in Acts chapter 13. Uh, we helped minister, with, uh, minister to the poor, 2 Corinthians 8, and that when they needed to be confronted and to be held accountable to the truth, we see that in Galatians 2, though we didn't touch it, but uh, there was this accountability that was held. And then there was a clarity in counsel and matters when things were not sure that they sought the help of uh, other church, autonomous church. And then there was also this coming together of the new congregation or church plans. We see that in Titus. But what's the reason? Christ is the reason. We serve the same Christ. We serve the same cause. We serve that this time that God has placed us, this place where he's placed us, that we would shine bright. We would shine in a way that God is glorified for a greater impact, whether it be for the building of the the, uh, body of the Lord Jesus Christ or to reach out to the far ends of the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that together we would have this great impact, that we would serve the king. 
the imagery that I want to leave with you is that of a snowflake. You see, snowflake is unique. It's complete on its own. There's no other snowflake like a snowflake. The design is great. The structure is perfect. You see, when you look at it, you enjoy it. It's a beautiful thing. But when all the snowflakes come together, it can stop the traffic. That's the power of the church. In uh, Matthew, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I will build a church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. You and I are part of a church. We're the visible part of the local church. But this church that Christ is building, he is building you. What he is building is so powerful that the gates of hell will collapse, will not stand, will not be able to hold back. And so where we are, we have this grave, great encouragement and a grave responsibility. So next time when you think about the local church, I want you to think of it as a snowflake that together can stop traffic. Of the souls that are headed to hell, we can, we can put a stop to that and that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified and the ends of the world would be, it'll be evident in the ends of the world. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that all things that you have said and arranged and patterned, Lord, is, uh, is for a purpose. And uh, as, we, as we do not just the end, but also the means, the end does not justify the means. You are a God both of the big picture and of details. And we pray, Lord, that as, as the church here, that you've established us here as a testimony. Help us, Father, that our lives would be an example, that our lives uh, would be a light that shines brighter, that we are able to impact this community. We've been talking about some of the outreaches, Lord, that we want to do and to impact so that the light of the gospel would shine into the darkened hearts, that they would know that there is a king in heaven, that they would know that this king died for them, that there's no one else who can do that. You are uniquely God. You are the only one high and lifted above. You are the God most high. And to you we bring because uh, we come with uh, the great joy of all that you are to us and mean to us and for the work that you continue to do in our midst. And that one day we will stand perfected in the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to that end, Lord, our hearts long. We thank you. We love you for all that you've been. And we thank you for all the heads that are bowed and submit to your lordship. We pray if there's anyone here, Lord, who is yet to understand what it means to know who you are and what it means to, to have you as the Lord, Lord, would you speak? Would you, Lord, would your spirit convict their hearts? Would, they, would, you, would they know, Lord, that there's no other place they can go except to the throne of grace and that they can find this, this joy as found nowhere else? Uh, a peace with God and the peace of God. And so we thank you, Lord. Thank you for, thank you for answering our prayers. Because we ask all this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.